Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode 155 of the Gateworld Podcast, a show where two nerds talk about all things Stargate. My name is Adam Barnard, and today I'm going to be joined by a special guest who is very well versed in all things Stargate and the Stargate community. You may know him from the MGM uh, Superfan panel that was recently formed, but you probably know him as uh, you probably know him from the Stargate Guy channel on YouTube. Uh, so Taylor, Taylor Underwood, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me, Adam. So recently, you wrote up your personal Stargate story for the uh, for GateWorld.net. Um, about sometime last year, we relaunched the My Stargate Story column, which is essentially a platform for fans who have been influenced by the show um, at whatever point in life to come and and kind of share what makes Stargate special. Because we all watch a lot of entertainment. Or we're all aware of, of plenty of TV shows and movies, perhaps more so than ever with uh, the modern media climate. But because of that, it seems like shows that are actually special, that actually have a real-world impact, become more important to people because they stand out from the crowd. And I, I think it's safe to say you've had quite the experience with Stargate, and that's been very formative to what you're doing uh, professionally and personally in your adult life. Oh, definitely. You know, w one of the things that really gets me is every now and then I have a comment on one of my videos where someone says, you know, just relax, it's just a show, you know, or come on, it's totally imaginary you know i'm like you don't get it it is not just a show shows that are just shows don't stick around for 20 years shows that are just shows don't make a huge impact in people's lives all around the world shows that are just shows don't make it you know to a couple of hundred episodes and a couple of movies shows that do that are not just shows so i want to ask you then can you kind of take us back before the stargate guy and we're going to get to that in a second but how did you discover Stargate, and at what point did you really know that it was going to be something that was personal for you, and something that, uh, you know, as you say in the article here, influenced uh, the craft you wanted to develop with with YouTube and video, or just even the degree you chose in college? So, at what point did that really start to sit in as something that was seminal to your life? Well, it really started when um, I was a kid, and. Like a lot of us, I, I walked in uh, to the living room where my dad was watching TV and, and he had Stargate on. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's this? And, you know, he told me a little bit and I sat down and I started watching it. And, you know, I just seen, it was right in the middle of this battle scene. So you had guys, you know, wearing green that were shooting these aliens that were wearing this armor and they were dropping like flies. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like this really cool battle scene. I'm like, hey, all right, like this is this is a cool show. My dad and I always watch, you know, Star Trek and and war movies and that kind of thing uh, growing up. So it's like, oh, all right, this is cool. So it was uh, it was interesting that the episode after that, you know, we were watching on TV, and the episode after that, I'm pretty sure it was Seth. It's kind of hard to remember that far back, but I distinctly remember um, having a, a a guy walk in and and explain about. Uh, the ancient Egyptian gods and how they were connected and seeing like this hologram, this pyramid-shaped hologram of, of all the different gods on it and how they're connected and uh, how they were looking for one. And uh, so I'm 100% sure that's Seth now. <laughs> and I was a huge, and I still am, I'm a huge history buff. And I love history in school. 
I'm like, this is really cool. So this is a show that has like action, action, and it has history in it. Like, this is awesome. Like, Dad, wh- why have you been keeping this from me? <laughs> it's kind of like a combination of all your interests, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, was this? How old were you when this happened? And also, uh, was this when SGM was still on air? Was it when it was on Showtime? Like, like what year was this? This is when it was still on air, and uh, it was well, Seth is, is early season. Uh, three it's season three episode two um and i remember we had the first two seasons on dvd but the third season hadn't come out yet so that might have been your first experience that that introduced you to the elements at what point did you really start to get into the story like what what um traversed that gap between a casual viewer to to a diehard fan what what really brought you into the world um the dvds Okay. Well, no, that's great. Yeah. I guess I guess we take it for granted because there was no on-demand back then. There was no Netflix. It was just, you had to have the DVDs. Yeah, there was no StargateCommand.co. Even then, you know, we had freaking dial-up, so that would take forever and cost a fortune. But yeah, so the DVDs, whenever a new uh, season would come out, you know, my dad would get the uh, the box set, and I would sit down and, and we would watch them together, and then I'd sit down again and I watch them, you know, two, three, four more times. <laughs> Although a lot of the episodes are like one-off episodes where you can sit down, you can have an adventure. It's cool. Uh, there's this overall giant story arc going on. And I love that. And the special features were just amazing. That really got me into the behind the scenes stuff of it, the actual filming of it, the, the acting involved. So what do you think in, in terms of story elements really, uh, connected with you was it the mythology was it like the modern day setting the adventure you know i for me for example like i really loved how it was essentially just a completely for all intents and purposes realistic military operation that could very well be happening in our world you know this isn't an alternate reality this isn't the future and and for someone a kid who was interested in the military that was the coolest concept that there were these people who i i genuinely liked you know in cheyenne mountain complex who were keeping us safe and expanding our horizons and that was something that i I wanted to plug into for you was it you know what element of the show was your favorite i'm gonna go with d all the above oh d all of it <laughs> great answer yeah you can't go wrong with that well well the two big things that caught me one was the uh history and the ar- archaeology of it all i found that really fascinating as well as as there's just so much of our history that we just don't know about i mean we've had whole libraries burned to the ground with the only copies of written documents in them. And so it is theoretically possible that this could have happened. And and the fact that it, the story was happening right now was a huge attraction for me because this isn't in a galaxy far, far away. This isn't right. 200, 300 years from now where, you know, we're space-faring people. It is, you know, a bunch of Air Force people in the bottom of a mountain, you know, trying to make this work. And uh, so the action, the history were, were the two big things that, that it was happening now uh, that just really connected with me. And, and it's the same with you and it's the same with the majority of the audience out there. Yeah, I mean, it's always wild to hear um, how diverse each fan experience is. Um, in terms of what it inspired them to do or, or, you know, whether they went to a convention or how the show changed their life or what they learned from the show. And it can be totally different. We can all be from different countries, but at the end of the day, the core reasons why we love Stargate are often very similar, regardless of how we got introduced or inspired. And that's why I think the Stargate community feels like such a diverse fandom, but also a very unified fandom. 
Exactly. One of the things that really has struck me about it, especially after getting involved with the fandom as an adult, is uh, that really Stargate brings people together. I have personally chatted with and talked to people from all around the world about Stargate that I, I never would have had those conversations. I never would have met those people. And it is just amazing to me that the fan base is very diverse and we come from all different backgrounds. We have all different political opinions. We have all different uh, philosophical and religious opinions, but we can all gather together and we can talk about and enjoy Stargate. That is an amazing thing. So let's talk a little bit about how this affected your adult life. Like, tell us about, you know, your college experience and then how you got your foot in the door with fandom and, and eventually became the Stargate guy and got on the MGM Superfan panel. So all growing up through uh, through high school, I watched the show and, and I didn't really realize the impact that it was having on me um, at the time. Uh, I got more interested in, in filmmaking. I got more interested in the behind the scenes. I listened to all the commentaries. Um, I started to pay attention to like how Martin Wood uh, versus Peter Deloise would shoot uh, scenes. But growing up, I was always told, you know, getting into film work, getting into acting, that kind of thing. It's like a one in a million thing. So just do that for fun as a hobby, but primarily focus on something else. And so when it came time for me to go to school, um, I really loved the character of Daniel Jackson, uh, favorite character growing up. And uh, so really, I, I found that I had a lot of the same interests that that character did. And I thought that he was a pretty cool archaeologist. You know, not a lot of archaeologists are out there and they can dig up a fossil and, or they can, you know, find uh, artifacts as well as, you know, be decent with an with a M9 or a P90. And so it kind of has that as like a, a, a background thought. Um, I went to college uh, where I studied uh, to have two bachelors of science in anthropology and history as well as a museum study certificate. And uh, that can be directly related to uh, the character Daniel Jackson. And uh, during college, I was watching YouTube and, and I was really big into board games. So I was watching board game review videos and I thought, you know what, I could do that, you know. So I went down, I got this cheap camera from a big box store and I sat down and I re-watched all of the special features for SG-1. You know, I loved it when instead of talking about, you know, some of the characters where uh, like Martin Wood would talk about, you know, why he framed the shot like this, you know, why he had the blocking, you know, why Tilk walked from the back right to the to the front left. Loved it. Ate it up. So that really helped me start making YouTube videos. And um, at first I didn't make them about Stargate. I made them about board game reviews and I really hope no one ever finds those videos. <laughs> then started making videos about uh, how it's okay to be a man and a geek at the same time. And so I started making them about Star Trek and Harry Potter as well as as uh, beard oil and uh, the correct way of shaving and all sorts of different things. Then really something happened right before my senior year of college that forever changed not only my perspective on Stargate, but also my life. And that is when I was at home uh, and I was working uh, during the summer to save up some money. So my, my mom and my dad were there and, and so I was hanging out with them during the summer. And uh, one day I came back from work in the afternoon and I was hanging out on the couch watching Stargate, go figure. And 
my mom and, and my sister, who lives across town, walked in. And I'm like, oh, hey, like, that's unusual for you guys to be here. Like, hey, what's up? And they came in and they said, you know, Taylor, your dad died. Wow. Excuse me? What? Like, are you joking? They're like, no. Uh, wish, wish we were. Uh, but he was installing a water heater at the dental office where he worked. And, and uh, he was doing it alone and he had a massive heart attack and he died. And after, you know, I'm, I'm going back to college in, in a week and a half. Yeah. So after, you know, trying to get my mind around what was going on and, and the logistics and everything and the memorial service and all that uh, fun stuff that happens when someone we love passes away, I really started thinking back about what my dad and I did together and what brought us t- closer together. And one of the things that really brought us closer together was sitting on the couch and watching TV um, and watching movies. And specifically Stargate was something that we watched for a very long time. And uh, this was after Atlantis. This was after Universe. So we saw all of it. Um, This was only a couple of years ago now. We're going on three years um, back in 2016. And so I realized that Stargate really helped bring us together. And I went and sat down and I started rewatching some of the episodes. And when I was watching the episode, just like I could feel like he was there kind of on the couch watching with me again. And that's when I realized that, you know, uh, this isn't just a show. Up until that point, I always thought, yeah, it's just a show. You know, we enjoyed it. Um, but that's when I realized that it was more than that. And that's when I really got plugged in with the fan base. That's when I started making uh, Stargate videos on my old channel. And they had such a positive uh, response. They were the most popular videos on the channel and, and people were saying, Hey, you need to have your own channel about this. And, and, uh, so a little while later I started the Stargate guy channel and it's snowballed from there. Wow. You know, in my own life, I didn't have to go through, I haven't gone through something like that with a parent, but I do know how, um, how great the memories were of being able to sit and share Stargate with other people. And, and um, when I was 13, we discovered Stargate Atlantis. I discovered Stargate Atlantis watching it with my dad. And we were into a lot of sci-fi stuff and war stuff. And I mean, I, I know we have similarities with each other, but we also have similarities with hundreds or thousands of fans around the world. I guess Stargate was such a positive show. Like it was dramatic and it could be violent and it could, you know, there could be moments where our characters experience defeat, but ultimately at the end of the day, these were virtuous people and people who were trying to be their best selves and the best at their job. And there was just something that was refreshing and inspiring about that. Yeah. And I just wish that I understand the significance of it while my dad was still alive. Right. I mean, it took that, very unexpected, tragic moment for me to realize uh, what had been going on in my life for the previous 20 years. And that's that's really one of the main reasons why I do the Stargate Guy channel. That's one of the main reasons why I do all the videos is because Stargate has had just a great impact on bringing me together with my dad that I want that to happen with everybody. I want to help others to come together through Stargate like I did with him. You know, understand and realize um, those things that bring others together and not 
you know, completely brush it off or not think about it until the other person's gone. And with Stargate, I found there is such a wealth of content. Um, just the amount of content that's been produced around the core stories, whether it's, you know, books or games or behind the scenes featurettes or interviews. I mean, uh, I, you know, when I was uh, discovering Stargate, I wasn't working for GateWorld. I was reading GateWorld. Like it's only recently that I've come aboard. So just having that repository and through different sites or through multimedia content was so incredible because if you like the show, it felt like the show was just the beginning. There was so much more conversation or dialogue to be had with other fans or things to experience or stories or I mean, even fan fiction if you're into it, if you want to read other people's perspective on the show and what that means to them, there was the option to do that. And that to me also made it way more than a show because for me it's like, oh yeah, you know, this was something that was like, I was supposed to be working on school assignments and I was like on the internet trying to read about, okay, well, what happened with this and what episode have I missed and, you know, what's the production date and, oh, you know, Joe Malozzi posted all these behind the scenes pictures and they've started production and then you just like want to be on his blog for two hours reading about them making the next season and like, I actually went to film school because of Stargate, because of Stargate opening up my interest to media production and multimedia and it, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the same thing happened to you with college itself yeah and and really it's it's amazing to me i i i wish that i knew all the different stuff that was out there 10 15 years ago right because i had no i did not know that gate world was a thing i had no idea how big the fan base was uh my only clues as to how big the fan base was was watching the special features on the dvds and or seeing the commercial for the get in the gate sweepstakes that they did twice with uh, SG-1 um, and, you know, just thinking and just, you know, kind of being envious of the of the couple people that won <laughs> the get in the gate, you know, sweepstakes. Right. And, um, you know, I had no idea that all that stuff was out there until I was like 25. Really? Wow. I had no idea. You know, that's when I first found Gate World. That's when I first found... You know, that there were all these books and everything out there. I kind of suspected that some of that was out there. But all the additional stuff I did not find out about until not that long ago. And uh, since then, I've been playing catch-up. Trying to, you know, go back and read uh, Melosi's blog and, and looking at all these different articles on GateWorld. And, you know, checking out all this different fan-created stuff. And all the various, you know, officially licensed and not officially licensed products out there. A lot of comics, too. I almost completely forgot about it. There's just so much stuff. Yeah, there's over 30 books for crying out loud. <laughs> for me, the thing that like almost intimidated me that I didn't realize how important it was to fandom uh, were the conventions. Especially being young, it's not like I could just get in my car and go to them. And also, I was like really scared of them because I was like, what if I don't fit in? Which is like the most hilariously wrong thought to have about a Stargate convention because that might have been as a teenager the one place I actually did fit in but um for me once I, I went to my first convention I think like 15 or 16 and that was really cool to be able to like walk into a room and all of a sudden interact face to face with someone and to be at a location for a weekend specifically just because of Stargate to me that was so cool and I'm, I'm so excited by the fact that that's still happening I mean you know not counting Stargate Origins if we're only looking at TV shows Stargate has been off the air for what eight years now and it's still going strong oh yeah and and if anyone has a chance to make it to a convention i highly recommend it you know because i again i only found out about the conventions with the special features on the dvds 
uh, and Chris right. was talking about his you know, first experience going to GateCon, you know, and doing a panel and, you know, how much fun it was and everything like that. I'm like, man, I really wish I could do that. But, you know, with uh, with my family growing up, I mean, we were broke. Uh, we were, you know, I grew up in a freaking trailer park for crying out loud. And if for people who are international, that's where, you know, the American poor lives is in trailer parks. Um, we did not have any money. So that was like a distant dream. Um, so my first convention was uh, two years ago in 2017, going to GateCon The Invasion up in Vancouver and uh, spending, you know, every spare penny that I had in order to go up there. And that was just incredible. You know, it's the same thing, just walking into a room and being surrounded by people who like the same thing that I do. And they're like there and they're real people. They're not a foreign name. Uh, right. They're not, you know, a comment on a video. They are living, breathing human beings for crying out. I can shake their hand. You know, yeah. I'm seeing all the all the actors and, you know, Martin Wood, the, the director, who I had great admiration for. You know, seeing them walking around and talking with people, it was just incredible. Highly recommend it to anyone who, who ever has a chance to go to any convention with Stargate stuff. And you've been going to more conventions recently because of your new status on the Stargate Supervan panel, correct? I know you were at WonderCon and you mentioned that in the article that you did for GateWorld. Yeah, the uh, so I have been to two all of two conventions related to Stargate. One was GateCon in 2017. The other was WonderCon earlier this year uh, when we met as a, as a super fan panel, like you were saying. Um, the conventions are freaking awesome. I, I don't I don't quite know what to say because I'm thinking back and I get so excited about it. There's certainly an energy, I, I mean, with the conventions. It, it's weird because it's like you are all there to celebrate creativity in a sense you know, you're celebrating art when i was young i used to think oh conventions are for like you know business or finance or some kind of summit that related to industry or uh, um or with a weapons or, or you know how to be like part of a career field and this was like no there are hundreds of people who want to come to a room and meet the actors and interact and spend an entire weekend of their lives you know we're so busy nowadays in our culture to be able to take that time away from everything else i still think it's very profound and I'm, I'm glad that it's going and and i was very fortunate with my first convention i'm in a, and in a way I'm, I'm really glad it was my first convention going to, to GateCon. that's because i had the the stargate guy channel was going and one of my subscribers actually said to me hey you know you should uh talk to different conventions and you should get a press pass to so that you can go in and and you can talk to people and and uh, use it for content for the channel. And I'm like, wait, I, like, there's a press pass. Like, I don't have to buy a ticket. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. Tell me about this. Like, how do I do that? And and so I I got a press pass for uh for Gate uh, GateCon, sorry. And I managed to uh, contact the people that were running it. Very nice people. And uh, I said, hey, like, is there any chance in a blue moon that I could interview anybody? from the show and uh they said yeah sure like who do you want and i sent them like a list of like 15 names <laughs> and uh i'm like any anyone on this would be great and uh they're like oh yeah like no problem like we'll fit you into the schedule and most of the most of the people that were on the list i ended up not being able to talk to you know because of uh different conflicts and everything and scheduling yeah yeah scheduling like you know chris chris judge owes me a rain check <laughs> But yeah, so I was able to sit down and I was able to interview and talk with, you know, people that I saw on the television and 
and people like I really admired. Like I, I was able to sit down with Martin Wood and uh, interview him a little bit. And I wasn't even planning on doing that. He just volunteered uh, right place, right time. I had to sit down and, and talk with me about it. And, um, you know, Cliff Simons, who played Ball, and, and Peter Williams, who played Apophis, Colin, you know, who was Major Davis. It's all like these really cool people who was able to sit down and, and talk with him. And I am amazed to this day that I was able to say anything during those interviews because part of my mind was freaking out, just going like, oh my God, you're actually doing this. <laughs> like dream come true kind of thing. What was incredible is... Uh, there were uh, times during those interviews uh, where I could just feel like in the back of the room, you know, like my dad was kind of hanging out and sitting there and, and, and watching the interview and just being like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, way to go, Taylor. <laughs> I haven't shared that with, with anybody since writing the article and, and this podcast. And thank you for sharing. I mean, it's it's very, very powerful stuff. Well, I'm I'm happy to do it. And really, that's uh, that's why I keep doing the Stargate Guy channel is because I'm seeing that it makes a difference in people's lives. And that's that's why I'm doing it because it, is, it has made that impact in my life. So I have no problem talking about, you know, my relationship with my father. I got no problem talking about how Stargate has impacted my life because the more of us that do that, the closer it brings others together. That's really what it's all about. I mean, Stargate does have really great stories. It has really good characters. It has really good setting, and it and it is a good narrative. But ultimately, the ultimately the importance of Stargate is that it brings you together with who you're watching it with. And selfishly speaking, the more that the fan base really comes together and grows, the more of a market that MGM sees and wants to make content to feed that market. So before we move on to our uh, Atlantis discussion, how are things going with uh, the Stargate Superfan panel? And of what you can say, you know, I know you probably have a non-disclosure agreement. Basically, at, at WonderCon, they didn't really uh, fill us in on anything that was really happening until after the panel uh, that we did at, at WonderCon. And really, you know, we sat down in this little um, business room in the hotel, and uh, they're like, okay, so... Um, in order for us to tell you what we need to tell you guys, you need to sign these non-disclosure agreements. And uh, basically, if it sounds like or if it kind of feels like it should be on the download, don't say anything. So it was it was a little intense. But, you know, really what really struck me with the super fan panel is that that entire weekend, uh, I really got to meet in person with everyone on the panel. And, and until then, literally the day that they announced our names, we all found each other on Facebook and we started a Facebook group chat and getting to know each other, uh, you know, over, over messages. Uh, but what really struck me during that weekend is that even, you know, meeting all the people at MGM, including uh, the people who are in charge of the Stargate franchise with MGM, what really struck me is that no one had a major ego. Everyone was <laughs> really friendly. Everyone was talking with each other. Like, really, I could sit down with... Anybody on the MGM team, anybody uh, in the super fan panel, and we can have a conversation about anything, and it was awesome. Um, I can confidently say that everyone that I met uh, and have met so far at MGM and on the super fan panel are all very passionate about the franchise. Uh, they all want it to continue. They want it to continue in good form. And uh, it has impacted their lives as much as it has mine. 
So let's go ahead and move on to our 15th anniversary Stargate Atlantis discussion. The main discussion. So now that you guys have gotten introduced to Taylor and know a a bit more about him and what he's done in relation to the Stargate franchise, I'm happy to have him join me for our uh, 15th anniversary discussion of Rising and and the first season of Atlantis. I think now's a great time to go back with, with that mile marker, a decade and a half, and kind of examine what the show did for the franchise, because at the time of Atlantis airing, uh, SG-1 was still um, still on the sci-fi channel, but, but Atlantis really turned it into something more. It turned it into a franchise, a, a multi-show franchise. This wasn't just a show that was trying to continue the story of a movie from the 90s. The television universe, I believe, with Atlantis kind of self-actualized. I'm just going to throw it over to you, Taylor. Um, how, what did you think of Atlantis when it first aired, and how has the pilot sat with you over the years? I thought it was awesome. Um, Stargate Atlantis was built up to in Stargate SG-1 for a while before it actually came out. And uh, just, you know, little bits of, oh, Atlantis, and, and Atlantis is connected with the ancients. And then, you know, oh, hey, this is an actual physical place. You know, let's try to get there. Um, I thought it was very well built up. Yeah, very well executed, uh, but when actually sitting down and watching uh, Rising Parts 1 and 2, I thought it was awesome. I mean, you had the new character, you had a solid handoff in, in Antarctica between Jack and uh, John, and it really connected and really launched Stargate Atlantis to being its own thing, where it is still solidly connected to the main show, and we're just extending it out into a new galaxy where new enemies could happen. It wasn't just the Gould. It wasn't just the Replicators. It was anything could happen. And I just thought it was great. And, and you're stuck in a galaxy. You have very limited resources. And you have to figure out who everyone is, who's the bad guy, who are your allies, how do you talk to Earth. And, and it was just very well executed. I loved it. There was a lot more of a frontier vibe to Atlantis, I feel like. Like, SG-1 was operating off of quite literally their home turf. Atlantis, you know, the Atlantis crew was told in Rising, this very well could be a one-way trip, and, you know, you are all volunteering for this. Um, You have to go through with the knowledge that you may never come home. And and so I think immediately in, in the early Atlantis days, the stakes were so much higher. There was always this underlying anxiety that that there is no backup, there is no plan B. You know, it's like these people are, are highly trained, but they have limited resources. They have to figure out everything for themselves. Um, I actually had a really cool experience with Rising because it was, okay, it wasn't the first episode of Stargate I'd seen. I had seen maybe scenes or a whole episode of SG-1 when I was even younger, but I was 13 years old and I was watching the sci-fi channel. I was you know, into Star Wars and I was wanting to get into more sci-fi. And just by pure coincidence, uh, I tuned in at the very beginning of a re-airing of the two-part pilot. I had no idea what I was watching. This was really like my first thorough introduction to Stargate, and it just happened to be uh, the pilot for Atlanta. So naturally, I was so 
engaged. I was like, wait, this is like high adventure. And this is all my interests, um, the modern sensibilities with the military and science, the fusion of the military and the science, and just a, a large scale production. I mean, the city of Atlantis was so gorgeously designed. I'm, you know, was familiar with Greek myth. I, I loved mythological stories when I was young. So to see that come to life in a modern setting, I was blown away. And it was like you were saying, it was a real adventure. I mean, when you meet the Athosians or when you first encounter the Wraith, when the Wraith Queen interrogates Colonel Sumner and sucks the life out of him. Like it was, I think at 13, it was much more terrifying than it would be now, but that was kind of the fun of it because I was, it was just so much uh, edge of the seat drama, uh, but something that was still rooted in, in really great character work and, and something where all the characters were really well-defined, you know, between McKay and Taylor and, and Weir and Shepard. Um, it, it wasn't like that cheesy 90s sci-fi uh, that was trying to be edgy. It just felt very earnest and authentic. It, it almost felt, you know, like SG-1 realistically captured what it would be like for the military to run an underground operation you know, that visits other planets. This weirdly felt very authentic for what a, a intergalactic exploratory task force would look like, you know, not, not a star Trek type thing. Like if, you know, if people can step through a gate and go to another galaxy, how would you organize it? What would that look like? And, and this felt totally real. And I was blown away. I had felt like I, you know, discovered a long lost friend in seeing the pilot of the show. Yes. And then for crying out loud, you come across space vampires. <laughs> <laughs> See, heck, man, when I was like, I I lived in a somewhat rural area when I would like walk back and forth to my friend's houses at night after watching Stargate Atlantis. I was a little on edge for a couple of months because the Wraith were such a terrifying concept at that age. Um, and, you know, like so much of it, like rising and other and uh, some of the early episodes take place at night. They try to cultivate the mystique and the fear, the kind of like primal aggression of the Wraith. And that was super cool, but also gave me a few nightmares at the time. Well, yeah, because with the Wraith's ability early on uh, being able to kind of mess with your brain and make you think that they're in one place when they're really in another. I mean, heck yeah, man. I, uh, that scared me when I was younger. <laughs> Every little rustle in the bushes, um, you're like, okay, wait, so does that mean that something's there or is something right behind me? So between Stargate Atlantis with the Wraith and me watching I Am Legend, that Will Smith movie with like the Dark Seekers at like 12 years old, because I, I watched them both. I discovered Atlantis, I think it was in 2007. It was right as season three had finished up or season four is going to begin. And, and so I saw, I kind of like got into both of those at the same time. And I was like, all right, no more scary stuff for me. I'm like, I've like maxed out. <laughs> Man, that's a horrible double feature. So what, um, as, as the show progressed, what stories did you really latch onto? Cause I think we're both on the same page that we have a, a very special place in our heart for the pilot and the introduction of the characters in the world and the story what for you kept the story going and, and kept the energy going that, and so it kept you engaged beyond just being the spinoff from Stargate SG one, you know, because that's, it could be very easily watched in an obligatory sense. Oh, of course I have to watch it because I like SG one. What made you specifically a fan of Stargate Atlantis? Well, Stargate Atlantis for me, it was a mixture of familiarity and, and new. I mean, you had the, the center core team of four people. Um, and in that, Personally, I was always drawn to McKay. Um, I thought, you know, that's a character from SG-1 that I saw, and now it's a continuation of that character. So a lot of it I kept watching for McKay 
and then later on for Ronan because he just kicks ass. <laughs> but really, it was uh, it had that same magic formula that SG One had. It had the action and it had the science and a good balance of those two, as well as a mixture of comedy in there as well. It didn't take itself too seriously. It, I mean, it took itself seriously, but not extreme. Uh, not like, you know, Universe later on. Uh, but I kept watching because it was familiar enough to SG-1, but it was still so new that I did not know what was going to happen. Because in SG-1, for a point there, it was getting down to, okay, what's the next goal threat that's going to come down? Who's going to be the new system lord that comes up and, and tries to destroy Earth? Whereas with Atlantis, it was, okay, are there more enemies than, than the Wraith? And we find out that there are. Be like, okay, well, what's their story? Like, how did that go on? So it was, I kept watching because it was a mixture of familiar and a mixture of new, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, with, with the Janai or even the Poisoning the Well episode, there was a lot of really great human drama in it. Also, you know, they're, they're cultivating the mythology of the Pegasus galaxy. You know, all the disparate communities in the Milky Way galaxy were really affected by the Goa'uld, and part of our story was getting involved in that and learning about what was the status of the rest of the Milky Way galaxy. The same thing happened in Pegasus where you meet all these disparate human communities and, and you know, the Atlantis team reactivating the city of the ancients and coming in with such power was a turning point in kind of like the ongoing war or conflict between the Wraith and the humans of the Pegasus galaxy. And the show really did a good job of, of painting a tapestry of what that was like. Well, and just the continuation of things that we already were familiar with. Uh, take, for example, the uh, Tao of Rodney episode. Great episode, yeah. Yeah, where McKay uh, accidentally pushes the wrong button, uh, basically, and his DNA is scrambled, and, and he's basically on the path where he either needs to ascend or die. And uh, just with that, the idea of ascension had been around in Stargate for a while, but it was that episode that built more upon that and looked at it as more of a physiological experience as well as as the kind of spiritual that it kind of was hinted at the at the very beginning of of sg1 uh, and it was episodes like that that really built more uh the universe as a whole and it and it could show that it wasn't just an adventure show it was a show that built upon existing knowledge and rounded out uh the the stargate universe yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool to see SG-1 and Atlantis run in tandem now. I actually came in, I think it was about 2007, so right as SG-1 had ended, I, I didn't get to watch any, quote, new episodes of SG-1. I was always watching just reruns with the DVDs, but I was able to watch the tail end of Atlantis. Um, and looking back to see how the few seasons that aired simultaneously between SG-1 and Atlantis interacted and built off each other, I'm almost jealous that I wasn't there in person to experience it. I mean, they, they aired on the same night, right? So it's just you basically get a double feature back to back. Yeah, and I, I love that. Because uh, really, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It was working in tandem. And so I loved seeing it where I would watch an episode of SG-1 first and it would have something, you know, it would mention something about Atlantis, you know, what was going on there. Um, or, and then I'd turn over to Atlantis right after that and it was building on or it was the thing that they were talking about in SG-1. And that really got the sense of 
these two shows are really connected, but they're separate all at the same time. And I love that back and forth between the two shows because you kind of had to watch both in order to get a, a picture, a full picture about what was really going on in the story. Completely. And, and not to get too off topic, but one of like, one of the things I, I know some of the producers or a lot of the fans have regrets about is the fact that Atlantis and universe couldn't run concurrently for a single season, at least just a single season, because that might have, ha- have kind of counteracted the, the claustrophobia that some people felt of Stargate universe. And you know what Atlantis was working towards could also have something to do with the ninth Chevron or with the revelations of, of what the ancients learned. Um, that would have been a cool opportunity that's, that's missed, but, but you know, we still got two great shows. Yeah. Cause on Atlantis, you have a gigantic freaking database that you have access to where you can look up the destiny and what its mission was and all that stuff. You could have gotten a whole wealth of information from that. One of the story arcs I think I enjoy the most, and possibly because I started watching the show as this arc was heating up, but it was the story of Michael. And and not just the episode Michael, but how they basically create an enemy when there wasn't one. Um, they take a wraith and they turn him into a human. Um, I found that really fascinating. Like it wasn't, it didn't get too dark. And, it, and I, I feel like maybe they pushed it to its limits in terms of how long they could run with that story and that character up until, you know, his untimely death in, in The Prodigal. Um, I think it was so personal for Michael. It was so personal for the characters of Atlantis. It wasn't just a battle against these space vampires. It was a battle against a, a soul that they who, whose life they had irreparably altered. And there was such a, a grudge between the two of them that it just made for more delicious drama, better character drama, um, especially into season four and five with Taylor. Yeah, Michael was a really fascinating character, um, and you're absolutely right. It was it was a created enemy and one where it was, I'm not against you because I want a food source. It is, I am against you because you personally screwed up my life. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. uh, and I like that. And uh, there were some episodes that just freaking scared the crap out of me that was loosely related to Michael, where the creatures were like coming out of the wells and they like emitted smoke. Oh, that was Whispers, right? The horror episode. Yeah, season five, Whispers. Yes, that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, that was like verging into horror territory. Yeah. Yes, and I'm like, you know, freaking 17 or something at the time. <laughs> you know, I'm like, holy crap. Like, talk about not wanting to go anywhere in the dark, you know? You know, that didn't help. I don't even think Michael even appeared in that episode, but it was still about him and about his vendetta and, and his experiments and what he was trying to do. I think for me, I got. I was scared by whispers, but I was really scared by Michael's like, I don't want to say fascination, but like creepy interplay with Taylor and, you know, how important the baby is to him. And I think, you know, the culmination of that was Michael showing up on Atlantis in the prodigal. That scared me because it was like. I know this sounds weird, but like in TV shows like Stargate, you end up living vicariously through the characters and Atlantis became like such a happy home for me. Like I always loved when scenes were on Atlantis because I never got tired of the city. I wanted nothing more than to walk through the gate and get to explore the city like the kids did, you know, in like hide and seek and and with the Athosians, like when they were running and playing tag through Atlantis, I thought that was so cool. So for me, I had developed such a love for the city and then to have him invaded, it felt it felt like the characters were very much defeated 
um, or on the verge of, of losing everything they had fought for. And I thought that was a brilliant way to set the final showdown with Michael on Atlantis itself. Cause that's where, that's where he was created or that's where they created the legend of Michael. <laughs> and then that's where it ends on the city. You know, the story comes full circle and, and I, I, looking back, even just talking about it now, I realize how passionate I am about that specific story. Yeah. I mean, with, with that, it's like, uh, psychopathic murderer ending your house in the back door yeah (laughs) it's super personal and it's really creepy and you don't know where it's gonna go (laughs) so what what other stories um in all five seasons you know just looking at the whole show did you really enjoy or maybe one of the one-off episodes um because there were lots of memorable ones like for me midway is just such a blast like i can any time of day if you wake me up at like 3 a.m uh, when I have work the next day, whatever, I'll just be like, yeah, let's watch it. Let's do it. Like if it's midway, I'll watch it any time of the day. So what, what about you? Uh, do you have any favorite episodes or stories? Well, there was, man, there's a lot of different ones. Um, the whole story arc with Michael was terrifying, but fascinating. Um, midway was really fun episode. I already mentioned it. The towel of Rodney, I thought was interesting. Um, where Rodney, uh, gets a parasite in his brain and he reverts back. He's like, he has dementia. That story uh, really struck me. And it's one that I've kept going back to, uh, partly because I'm terrified that that's going to happen to someone that I, I love and care about. But also that's where you really get to see like the more human side of Ronan. It was those, those kind of episodes that was a little bit out of the regular story arc but really developed the characters well and really made you like connect with the characters. And it and particularly with the shrine, it relates to something that a lot of people deal with in their lives. And uh, later on after graduating college, I, I got a job with the state where I'm working with seniors um, and disabled people. And so I would go into uh, memory care facilities of people who have dementia or Alzheimer's and they just have no clue who they are or who anyone else is. And, you know, going in there with family members of these people and you're seeing the look of, of pain on their face that their husband, their wife, their parent has no idea who they are. You know, they're really nice about it. They're like, oh, yes, dear, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's really wonderful. Yes, it's good to see you, but they have no clue who you are. You know, and yeah. episodes like The Shrine that really hits home for a lot of people and uh, really kind of tears the heart out of your chest a little bit. I mean, fortunately in that one, it works out because Rodney has main character immunity. (laughs) Plot armor, yeah, a little bit. But it doesn't always work out for people. But that was able to show some people coping with a real-life situation that a person could have at home. Yeah. Shrine hit me pretty hard when it first aired. I mean, I I knew it was going to be a bit of a tearjerker, but it ended up being so well written. It respected those kinds of symptoms and people who suffer through those conditions, but also told a great story. And I I mean, come to think of it, like, I feel like my 
two favorite seasons of Atlantis are seasons four and five. I know that's not a super popular opinion to have. Um, and, and as you know, I loved the start of the show. I love the way it, it set up the, the dynamics of the galaxy and set up the characters and set up the mysteries that people would unfold. But once you get really get in the story of, of the replicators and of Michael and of even like the, um, the double feature with tire with reunion and then broken ties in seasons four and five, uh, that was a recurring story I loved. Um, I just felt like the show really came into its own towards the end, which is one of the reasons I'm still not over the whole lack of a season six thing, because it's like my, my favorite episodes and my favorite story arcs came in the final two seasons. Yeah, there were really some good episodes in there. I absolutely loved it. Do you have a favorite season overall of Atlantis? Like if you had a pick, I know it's a hard question, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to try to see if I can get an answer. See, people are always asking me those kinds of questions. <laughs> They are? Uh, yes. Uh, favorite episodes, favorite seasons of the different ones. Um, I I have a really hard time choosing with Atlantis. Um, the the first thing that comes to my mind is season three, uh, where we have the introduction of Ronan. You had the, the creation of, of Michael in, in season three. I mean, you have the episode Satita, uh, where you learn all about his past and, and he gets some closure there. Uh, because, you know, a wonderful ancient drone can kill a wraith for sure. Um, you had the Tau Rodney in there. You got the ancients coming in and returning. It's, it is a really good transition and it is really good of closing one chapter and starting up another. So where do you, just wrapping up our Atlantis discussion, how are your feelings now about the season five finale and kind of Atlantis's legacy as a whole? Because while it's also the 15th anniversary of the airing of Rising, it's also the 10th anniversary of the Enemy at the Gates premiere. Because Enemy at the Gate came out in January of 2009. We're in 2019 now. It's kind of scary to see how far in the rearview mirror Atlantis is at this point, but that also gives some valuable hindsight and retrospect. So I'm curious to get your thoughts about Atlantis's finale and where the story technically stands at this point to this day. Well, I think that um, really where we ended at Enemy of the Gate, I love that final scene that we have of Atlantis coming in and, and you see the Golden Gate Bridge um, and they're all on the balcony kind of hanging out there. They're finally at Earth. All of them are finally at Earth. And they save the day. You know, I like that final scene. The actual story of Enemy at the Gate as a whole, I have mixed feelings about. Some parts of it where uh, I'm like, you know, that's less than likely of what has really been happening with what you guys have been setting up like the whole super hive and you talk about the wormhole drive as well oh yeah but there are other parts of the story that i really liked you know i i loved having the the final wraith battle over earth you know i i love that uh the imminent threat that the wraith finally uh, apart from midway was a real threat to earth and that where we're left at the end of Atlantis, um, you would have to have a one heck of a really good PR and marketing team to try to cover that up to everybody. <laughs> it is a full circle moment, though, because Atlantis in the first scene of Rising left Earth. And now at the final scene of Enemy at the Gate, it's back on Earth. 
I, I think in theory and, and in broad strokes, Enemy at the Gate is an incredibly satisfying finale. I felt it was more like two or three episodes instead of just one episode. So like my biggest complaint about the episode isn't the storytelling or the plot or even some of the, the technological devices like the wormhole drive. Like I can forgive that coming out of nowhere. I just wanted to savor the finale more than I could. It was almost like, oh crap, like we only have one episode left. We got to get everything in. Um, at the same time, looking back, uh, I mean, I was, I've come to terms with that being the end of Atlantis. You know, I worked for like a year and a half on the Stargate movies campaign. I had like an obsession with seeing more Atlantis come to life, whether it was the form of extinction or a mini series or, or whatever DVD movies they were planning to produce, you know, 10 years down the road, not only have I kind of let that go, I've also come to really appreciate uh, where where Enemy at the Gate ended with these characters. And it's almost like with Universe, it's almost nice because you can craft your own continuation. You know, you can kind of imagine what happened to these characters next, um, but you're not left on a, on a cliffhanger like, say, um, with like the Kindred, where like the building falls on all the characters and then Search and Rescue, the season five premiere, you're like, okay, who survived? How did they beat Michael? Um, you know, it had some kind of poetic finality to it, which I think makes Atlantis as a whole a very satisfying 100 episode story. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things is that this was the 100th episode and Stargate Atlantis yeah. made it and made it to a hundred episodes. But you know, I agree personally. Uh, and I know I'm going to get some flack for this. I'm going to get some, some messages for this. Uh, but personally, I wish if I was a producer back then, um, I would have scrapped Vegas and I would have really enemy at the gate into a two parter. So did you not like Vegas as like a standalone episode or is it just the fact that it got in the way of a more fleshed out finale? Uh, yes. <laughs> as a standalone story, I mean, you're you're jumping timelines. You're, you're just randomly going to a different dimension. Uh, and it's that's really jarring. It's like, you know, as much as, as John Shepard probably would have made a decent P.I., there's bigger stuff happening, people. It, it kind of got in the way of, of everything else. It was a real break uh, between the overarching story that was happening in season five. And uh, it was just a, a really, really jarring thing. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. It was well executed. Right. I will give it that. It was well executed. I just I just enjoy the tonal divergence of it, you know, having having I mean, the the visual language and the style that we came to know from Atlantis was completely um, reborn just for that one episode is completely redesigned. So I appreciated that a lot. Um, I actually wrote about it in the legacy column I did. So that was one of like my top Atlantis picks. But it's OK. I totally understand to each their own. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining me for this double feature discussion, both of, of your personal Stargate story and of uh, these two Atlantis anniversaries. Um, where can listeners and, and Stargate fans find you? What are you up to now with the Stargate Guy channel? Well, with the Stargate Guy channel, I do a bunch of theories, racial profiles, character profiles, interviews, all kinds of different things. And uh, you can go to youtube.com slash the Stargate Guy or anywhere on social media, just slash the Stargate guy and you'll be able to find me. So I would highly recommend listeners and Gateworld fans go over and check out Taylor's channel. I think you have a video every week, right? So you've you've done this pretty consistently. Yep. Every, one video every Sunday with a live stream the first Sunday of the month. 
Also, if you guys have not yet read Taylor's My Stargate Story uh, write-up, I would highly recommend going to the website and giving that a read. Um, I Again, a absolute great personal story and something that's very profound, and I'm, I'm still honored that you would share so much about your life with us and be so open about how much Stargate has played a part in your adult life personally and professionally. Hey, I'm happy to share it. Well, hopefully we can have you back sometime on the podcast for another discussion. In the meantime, my name's Adam Barnard, and you've been listening to the Gate World Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>